0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV.
1: Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. This is Culture Determined. I'm your host, Aria Kotowade, and my guest today is Laura K. Field. Uh, Laura, could you please introduce yourself?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a, a political theorist by training and um, have been writing in recent years about the conservative intellectuals who have um sort of lined up behind trump and tried to justify um the trump administration uh and i'm a senior fellow at the Niskanen center and have the, i have had an affiliation an affiliation excuse me with american university as well
1: uh well thank you for taking the time to come on so we're going to be uh talking about a piece that you wrote and published in uh the bulwark uh a couple weeks ago The headline is what the hell happened to the claremont institute Subhead, How the Once Distinguished Conservative Think Tank Plunged into Trumpism, liberalism, and Lying About the Election. Uh, the link will be below on the blogging site. It's, it's a long piece, and I encourage people to check it out. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. And, um, uh, okay, so I guess, the, so the, we'll start with a, a very basic question. What, what is the Colorado Institute for people who have heard of it and don't know what it is or have never heard of it at all?
0: Yeah, so this is a, a think tank that um, was founded in 1979 by Harry Jaffa, who um, is a, was at the time a, a prominent Lincoln scholar and well-regarded Lincoln scholar. I think that you'll hear people um, across the political spectrum today express real um, reverence for some of Jaffa's work on Lincoln. Um, and so, he, but I think he, he, he then... Uh, some of his students, sorry, it wasn't founded by him. It was founded by four of his students. Um, And so they, they, they took up his, um, his, his call I think to, or his, his way of appreciating the American founding and, and then Lincoln in particular. And they founded this Institute sort of as a kind of out of devotion to the American founding and the American principles. And so it's this think tank devoted to sort of restoring um, an appreciation for the founding and uh, it's been around for quite a long time, uh, and it's in Claremont, California. And you'll um, people who are listening or watching might be familiar probably with um, Michael Anton, who wrote this famous um, Flight 93 election essay that sort of gave this uh, a pretty sophisticated uh, intellectual defense of, vote, of Trump before the 2016 election, and that sort of went viral. It was read on Rush Limbaugh. Um, and so that that became kind of a catalyst for this, the Claremont group. The Claremont group published that piece pseudonymously at the time, and then it caught on, and they sort of went with it. When T- Trump won the election, they sort of fell in behind that and became – um, this one conservative ins- institution that really decided to kind of go all in on on Trumpism and and defend him and tried to shape his administration in certain ways. Um, so there's a long, you know, there's a long uh, between the sort of founding of the Claremont Institute and and then sort of these things that happened with Anton and subsequently um, there, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about there, right? I mean, and yes. in a way, I asked the, the the piece is titled "What the Hell Happened to Claremont?" the Claremont Institute, but it's kind of a narrow. I don't I don't actually tell that whole story, um, of um, sort of how, which I think I think there is a, a pl- sort of an intellectual history there that you can trace out some some of the the links between the ideology or philosophy of this institution and then how it eventually came around, um, to, to fall for Trump or to kind of be willing to go there.
1: Um, and so 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 there,
0: and I I tell some of that story in, in the piece, but I really wanted to kind of shine a light on, on some very specific things that they were involved in between the election and January 6th.
1: Okay. And so there's a, um, a podcast called know your enemy and i've had one of the hosts of that show on here before matt, matt sitman and they did a uh yeah. episode and which has the uh the great title i have it here uh midnight in the garden of american heroes and we'll include the link to that and so that is gives Dude, more background yeah. it's a great episode harry jaffa and claremont and i yeah it's it's as someone who I don't think I really knew that much about any of this before here in that episode. And so that probably what is what made me interested in reading your piece. And so that I, I encourage people to listen to that. And so, um, and it is confusing because there's, okay, there's the Claremont Institute and then there's Claremont McKenna and then the College, Claremont yeah. colleges. And then there's, so there's yeah. like a dozen different things and some of them have Claremont in them. Some of them are like legitimate higher education institutes yeah. and some of them are, something a little less, maybe. Um, well, and there's we'll a lot it. of,
0: there's some overlap that the people who founded the Claremont Institute, many of, many of them, um, Charles Kessler is still a professor at Claremont Mechanic College, I believe, or graduate university. So they, you've got these Claremont schools and there's some, there's some overlap with faculty who belong to the Claremont Institute, but the Claremont Institute is, in, in, is should not, the existence of the Claremont Institute should not reflect back on those other institutions even though there's overlap because they're separate entities.
1: Right. And then they have this, all these sort of fellowships and yeah. things where they're, they they're connected to a lot of different people. And you, so you note know that maybe being a Claremont fellow or something like there's people who are, you know, very highly regarded who have gone through their fellowship stuff and like Ross down that an example of that. And then there's yeah. people who are somewhere in between well-regarded and not well-regarded. Um, yeah. and you list, uh, Josh Hammer, Molly Hemingway, Christopher Rufo, and Ben Shapiro—obviously, some of those. Like Ben Shapiro is a huge online superstar, and Rufo is the guy who is spearheading the um, anti-CRT um, stuff. Yeah. Molly Hemingway is at The Federalist, and I think isn't Josh Hammer the editorial um, or head of a, opinion at Newsweek or something now? I or? think he
0: is now. Yeah, and
1: yeah, and then and but then also sometimes they bring in people who are a little less um, reputable, and so people like uh, Charlie Kirk who founded uh, Turning Point USA, and uh, this guy, Jack Sobik, is that how you say his name? Sobik,
0: yeah, I'm not sure either. Who but is yeah.
1: Sort, sort of, like, helped popularize the, the original Pizzagate uh, uh, conspiracy theory that Q- Q- QAnon grew out of. And so there, there's, like, a wide range yeah. of people who have intersected with Claremont from, you know, the uh, uh, Ross Downfit, maybe one of the most respected conservative yeah. intellectuals in America, to these more sort of yeah and i
0: mean I, i list those people um there are plenty of people who have gone through there who are very respectable right um and i and and i should say they've sort of founded themselves based on sort of education surrounding the principles of america right like the declaration and so forth but they also they're sort of uh they they run a whole bunch of different programs for, for different kinds of fellows during the summertime and sort of educational programs. And a lot of whom are, it's not just academics, it's also journalists, it's also lawyers and things who come through that, who can, who go through that program. And you can, you can click through and see all the different fellows who have gone through there on their website. And, and you'll, rec- I mean, if you follow con- the conservative movement at all, you'll recognize some of those names. But I guess one thing just to maybe add on this um, is that they're, they're sort of, um they're sort of doggedly anti-wonk, right? So they're really about like pr- promoting myth. I mean, they wouldn't put it this way, but they're about sort of political philosophy and how ideas and principles matter. And they sort of, they're like, we want it, we're about the culture war, we're about shaping um, the American mind. And they're not, and, and that kind of dovetails with an anti-administrative state position that's kind of um, typical, um. Among Republicans, right, and some of that is you know very legitimate concerns about government. Um, but they're sort of they've really taken that on as part of their mission. Is sort of to they they don't really have policy ideas. They're very much in this for the the fight. Um, it's how <laughs> the I, grand I philosophical
1: think about it. claims and so forth. Okay, so one thing. Okay, so Jaffa. So Jaffa's you know sort of students disciples founded this organization. And so Jaffa is sort of the intellectual godfather of it. And Jaffa was a student of Leo Strauss. And so mm-hmm. then there's, and the, the podcast that I mentioned earlier gets into all this backstory. But so then you have, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, so the East Coast Straussians, as they came to be called, sort of became the neoconservatives or were termed the neoconservatives. And um, people who are associated with that is like Paul Wolfowitz. Who was, I believe, a student of Strauss, or at least some, maybe a minor student of Strauss. But, um, and then Jaffa, Jaffa's group was like the West Coast Straussians, uh, because, you know, he went to California and Jaffa's, okay, how does like the, so as I understand it, Jaffa sort of made the conservative case for Lincoln and would, because there was plenty of anti-Lincoln sentiment in the right, you know, in the 20th century. and, And then Jaffa would like debate people. And say like no, actually Lincoln was a great conservative hero because you know there's people who saw him as like a tyrant and or people who are just out and out racist or segregationists who were anti- Lincoln, and so he was like no, you're wrong. Like yeah, Lincoln was a conservative, a great conservative, and a great American. Yeah, so is that is that all accurate?
0: Well, that I wouldn't. I think that's right on on Jaffa. Um, I'm sort of I think on the East Coast Rosian question, it's a little that's a little too simple and. Um, Let me just say, like, I've studied with East Coast Strausians for most of my academic life, so I got a PhD with some of these people in in Austin, Texas, uh, and I mean, they were very good to me, um, but I've always kind of been a, well, I'm kind of a bad Straussian. I I believe in, I I mean, I, I, so it's kind of awkward to be here defending any of this, but the East Coast Drowsians, I'd say they're not they're not really neoconservatives per se. I'd say um, maybe some of them are, but so are some of the West Coast Drowsians. I'd say generally sort of West Coast Drowsians take a more active involvement in politics and see a more active role for themselves in politics. Um, whereas a lot of East Coast Drowsians are just hyper apolitical and they sort of they they kind of turn their nose up at ordinary politics. Um and, and in a way, there's some of that among the kind of West Coast Strausians too, which I think is maybe not something that, um, it's hard to kind of understand without having been in these circles, but there's a real, real, I mean, maybe, maybe it's obvious, but there's like a real disdain and contempt for sort of ordinary political um, life. And so someone like Michael Anton, I mean, I don't think this is a person who has like sincere, I think he believes he's an ideologue who believes a lot of the stuff he says, but there's like real disdain for sort of electoral politics Um <laughs> and um and there's sort of they, there's this kind of self-aggrandizing sense that they're the they are the philosopher kings who are shaping the or the like something like that uber full you know so it's um yeah that i don't know what my point is with respect well, to australian okay, so, but there's a whole like not australians are like that a lot of them really take a back step for that even but it's still kind of there's still a kind of conceit there
1: Okay, so yeah, so okay, so, so Leo Strauss was this one very intellect, very influential, you know, philosopher, intellectual, and then he many he influenced many people, and so it's we're sort of crudely yeah. grouping him into various, you know, areas. But yeah. so, but you know, I I had never heard of Leo Strauss, I guess, before like the time or, like the Bush administration, yeah, the Bush
0: administration, and where yeah. some of his
1: disciples or his, but anyway, you know, sort of like the idea of esoteric readings of philosophy and history and also this idea of like you were alluding to sort of like the noble lie or like you sort of need to say something to the masses because they're they're not going to understand really what's happening because they don't have this training in esoteric readings of like Thucydides or whatever (laughs) and and so that sort of became what, as understood at least popularly, um, during the Bush administration, was like, you know, uh, it's okay to lie about weapons of mass destruction. destruction. And we yeah. To know what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because of something you know Socrates said, then that means that so on, and so forth, and and then I don't know. The collapse of the Bush administration seemed to sort of push all that stuff away from public discourse. And then, so but then I guess it was yeah. Uh, no, and I think that's, the background.
0: I think that's kind of yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I don't know exactly. I don't know those. I don't. I can't get in the heads of those. The sort of neocons of the Bush era, to because I think that it's also sort of wedded to, for many of these people, a genuine belief in sort of American democracy, sort of and liberal democracy, and sort of a hope that that can be carried, you know, promoted around the world. That I mean, proved to be just sort of tragically naive or yeah. badly done, uh, you know, it, but I think there's still something sincere in a lot of that. And I think that there's sort of a through line with all these drowsings in that they have a kind of a, a, an uh, attentiveness to, um, I mean, just cultural arguments in the sweep of history uh, in a way that sometimes, I mean, I I think liberals don't or fail to, right? Or some people on the left fail to um kind of there's a kind of so there's some things that I think they've got a deeper understanding of, or some of these Straussians do. I don't think the Claremont people, I mean I don't I, I just sort of mean in these intellectual circles, there are there are some serious insights there sometimes about about history. Um, that are worth taking seriously, that I think has given them. I mean, in a way, it's mostly just like that, that's what has allowed them maybe to get close to this, to power regularly um, in okay. these so, ways. So, how
1: did um, four people who were the students of a renowned Lincoln scholar come to be the people who, you know, were the intellectual or, or positioned themselves as like the intellectuals p- providing support for? Donald Trump, who in some ways is like the 100 degree opposite of everything Abraham Lincoln ever was or, or whatever. Like what, what, do you understand that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's kind of the longer question. Um, I think, I mean, I, I think that what I try to lay out in the article is that part of it has to do with a kind of idealism that there's a kind of idealizing reading of the founding um, and and sort of this this myth making surrounding the these older generations, right? That then um, becomes a kind of state ideology among these people and these in these circles, right? So that there's it becomes just this really stultified um, set of of beliefs and understandings, um, and then and then I think that if you've got this, that, that becomes very resistant to um, constitutional change or progressivism of any kind, right? So if you've got, you've got a very sort of sticky understanding and, and kind of narrow-minded mi- understanding of how the American regime should operate um, and how it should be talked about and how it should be taught, um, I think that then you, then you see over the course of time, that that things do change. Right. And, and I think that there for these, for these people um, that became increasingly difficult to accept and comprehend. And they found themselves sort of on the losing side of the culture war. Um, I've gotten, I don't talk about this in the piece, um, but I think two things I don't, that I don't talk about that maybe I should have a little bit more sort of the Christian nationalism of some of these people and then also just like the, there's a real homophobic streak even to Jaffa. And so you've kind of got the culture war issues and the, the hatred of the left was kind of a staple in this crowd from the beginning and a resistance to progressivism and, and the constitutional changes that came with like the New Deal, right? And, and these new, new government programs. So you have all this sort of resistance to change that, the, but then you get a lot of change happening. And I think that that be kind of, they they start to feel aggrieved. Right. And um, like, they're really on the losing side of something. And, and I mean, furthermore, you get them kind of ideologically, a lot of conservatives I think feel like they're sidelined in the academy. Um, and, and they kind of are, cause there's a lot of fragmentation. Right. Um, and so they, I think that one that one of the the good explanations here is that they feel aggrieved. They feel like they're on the losing battle. Um, it's festering. You get a, Obama comes in. It's it's all bundled up. Um, maybe not with some of these people with racism, but in, in the party, right? There's a lot of that. And so I think that by the time Trump comes along, it's just that he's so he's such a great vehicle for so many of those frustrations that they they can't help but kind of. It's kind of, and they're kind of yearning for a savior figure of some kind or something like that, mm-hmm. um, because they're feeling so forlorn about the failure of their of their or, or the, the 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 fact that their principles are looking kind of shoddy and people aren't respecting them right, and and there's all these challenges to the to their understanding of history. Okay, um... so that's what I that's the, that's what I try to like that I mean I don't fully understand it either I mean I was partly shocked by this when I saw it happening and and then partly I mean I think that's 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 maybe a few threads I think you get it I mean I think that also just like there are always gonna be people who seize upon an opportunity right um so it could happen to anybody right where they they get they get close to the, I mean Trumps well, tri- it's, it's- but Trump, trump's a pretty shocking failure of judgment
1: yeah i mean it's funny because you have these people who profess to like like they believe in ideas and ideals and those are the set forth by the founders and then you have this figure who you know donald trump lots of people see him differently but it's pretty clear that like he doesn't actually believe in anything except for himself and yet somehow these people who you know so there's plenty of people in the conservative movement the Republican party who went along with Trump because they're like well people like this guy so let's just go along with him and we can get our tax cuts passed and get whatever our you know whatever we want to do we can maybe get him um to do it you know things with immigration and so forth but then you have these people who are sort of like yeah see themselves as, as sort of like philosopher kings or something at like a 20,000 feet removed from you know the hurly-burly of shoddy yeah. uh, politics and then there's this con artist who stumbles into the presidency and they're like, this is, this is our guy. So that, I mean, there's psychological explanations for this, I guess, but it well, is Well, they strange.
0: have such disdain for politics in a way, some of these guys, right? That, that it doesn't really matter who's who it is, right? There's sort of, they sort of, sh- I mean, I don't, I don't want to, they're all pretty different, right? Like, I don't think... I think it's a combination of the fact that they really do think the country's going to shit, right? Like, so they, they, they've, I don't know if it's because they're on, too online, or maybe I just have rose, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree, right? I mean, I think that there are tons of real, really serious problems. I mean, so I don't want to be Pollyanna, but like... It, it, they just, they think that we're on the verge of civil war, right? That um, that it's worse than it. its It's just like, it's,
1: they just but, but are- some of them are sort of like egging on the civil war. Oh, oh I mean, I that? think that's
0: the problem. <laughs> They're really fomenting a lot of this. So I think it's a really, like, delusional little situation here. And I don't know, and, and I, I think it's honestly hard to, to know how seriously to take all of this, right? But um, I think that there's kind of, um, there there is this- there's a sense, a, a real conviction that things are kind of nearing the end days when it comes to sort of American republicanism and self-government and liberty. And so they really think that sort of the technocratic elites, if they're allowed to kind of keep going and, and keep socializing the country with new programs and their surveillance state, I mean, some of those concerns seem right to me, but they think... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in terms of surveillance and stuff, they just think yeah. that they have a serious conviction that it's sort of a slippery slope that we're basically already halfway down towards some sort of like the liberal tyranny, plus all the cultural tyranny that they feel so aggrieved about, which I think from a... I find it very hard to get into that mindset because I think it's crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but I think that is what they believe, and so that's what justifies the Trump. Like they, I mean, that's the premise of Anton's piece, right? Right. And so it it really, I think, for them, they have this real conviction that that they see more clearly, um, and that they're on the kind of cutting edge of a deep understanding of what's going on, and they're the heroes.
1: Okay. And so uh, maybe one more question before we really dive into the piece we're still sort of setting the table. Um, okay. So my a question you didn't really discuss, but, and maybe you don't know this, uh, like sort of who is paying for all this shit? And uh, like, how do they have these huge programs that, you know, pay fly out dozens of young conservatives and all this stuff? And who is funding, you know, there, there is this meme online who funds the Federalists, but really like it probably doesn't, it doesn't take that much to fund an online magazine it was probably just people were like saudi arabia is funding the federalists, but it's probably just like some you know guy who owns like six car dealerships in louisiana or something like it gives him gives him a couple million a year but yeah there's all this but it's this huge operation and then so well one possible answer is someone named thomas d Klingenstein, and he's he's the chairman of the board and so it's like a nonprofit, and so often that goes to a huge funder and then i was like well who is this guy seems to be some hedge fund guy and, or Wall Street guy or something. And then, so he wrote, so then occasionally, I guess he's such a, you know, brilliant guy they let him write things for the American mind and the first thing that chronologically he wrote in 2018 was called Our House Divided, Multiculturalism Versus America, A Big Photo of the Lincoln Monument and then the subhead is Following Trump's Lead and Lincoln's. So, um, so I didn't read this, I just saw it and thought it was funny, but I guess there's a very wealthy guy who is willing to subsidize all this Nonsense. Yeah,
0: I mean my understanding is that um and I, I'd I'd like to look at this more carefully. I don't quite know how to do it, but I guess you can get the record I think historically they've been founded by groups like the Bradley family foundation or the Earharts. I think I should, I don't want to, I'm not sure about this. Um, But I think, so I think you can go through the records of those different institutions and see if they've given to the Claremont Institute.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and then there's nine nineties where some of that is reported, but I don't, I don't know. It's kind of hard to find, but I think it can be figured out. And so I'd like to do that. But I think that Thomas Klingenstein is the major donor is my understanding. And sort of, he floats the operation and there's, since I wrote this, Um, I've learned that he, um, I mean, I don't, he's a very, it's a very complicated picture because I do not think he, um, my sense from talking to people is that he would be kind of, he is, like basically, I mean, if if you haven't read the piece, you won't see what I'm getting at. But the piece takes us through to like just to show some of the racism, right? That that is sort of that they're even if they're not promoting, they're kind of right next to. And I don't think I think Thomas Klingenstein has written plays about about Lincoln that was produced a play about Lincoln that was produced off Broadway in like 2017. And yeah. he wrote a and he wrote another play about Frederick Douglass. Um, That was produced in Chicago a few years ago. And I think he thinks of himself as wholly, like, you know, appreciative of these two men, and he idolizes Lincoln. And so I mean, I think that's all very genuine. And I think so I don't quite understand what's going on there. And whether he's just not seeing what the rest of the organization is doing, or if he's kind of being used by these people. I mean, I just don't know. It's pretty weird, though.
1: Well, that's interesting. So this guy I mean, is a real renaissance man, you know, making yeah. m- millions or billions on Wall Street, writing plays, funding, you know, intellectual movements. Maybe he, uh, you know, uh modern dance or the arts, you know, um a real, you know, Medici type, I guess. But, um but yeah, I mean, okay. So actually, I, I wasn't sure I was going to ask this, but okay. So Leo Strauss is Jewish, was Jewish. Harry Jaffa was Jewish. A lot of the East Coast Stra- Strauss, he has at least three of the first generations were Jewish. And neoconservatism and (laughs) had also a lot of uh, people who were Jewish associated with it. Um, And I remember, and so I I can say all this because I too am Jewish, although I'm not a neoconservative. But I remember, like in the back of my head, I thought Michael Anton was Jewish, and but then sort of looking at them, like okay, Klingenstein or whatever um, sounds like it could be a Jewish name, but who knows? But then a lot of the West Coast Russians do not seem to be Jewish. And, um, you, like, is that sort of a split between, and so, and then also a lot of the Jewish neoconservatives became never Trumpers, like Bill Kristol and, um, and, you know, Jennifer Rubin, and there was a real, a a revulsion, at least among part of the Jewish, you know, the Jewish conservative intellectual space against Trump. But then these guys, and they're almost all guys, and if you look at their, um, you know, like the board of... Uh, the Claremont Institute and then the people who are the editors of the American mind and so forth it's almost all men um they it seems a less Jewish um group group of people um what, what is this accurate or what, what do you think
0: yeah I I wouldn't feel comfortable really um f- like fully drawing that out just because I don't I don't know but um I mean I read Charles Kessler's book recently and I don't think I don't believe he's Jewish but he he sort of quotes very admiringly some passion, some uh, a speech that I think George Washington gave at a synagogue um sort of this very beautiful welcome to the Jewish community and 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 so I think you know there's there's some you know there's something not awful there um but I don't really I don't really know yeah, I just can't, I can't speak to that. I, I've heard, I mean, I've heard from other people that there's more to, sort of, like I said, more sort of Christian nationalism underlying a lot of this than I recognize. And I think that I just don't, I just haven't sort of, Um, I, I mean, I believe that and I see a lot of that, but I don't, I just, I haven't done, I haven't done careful enough sort of sorting through of this or th- thinking about it from that angle to really know.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. And, and okay, maybe uh, someone else can, or <laughs> can examine that angle, or maybe, maybe you, but I think it is sort of like, you know, it is interesting to think about, you know, why did many neocons react so strongly against Trump? Whereas a lot, like most of the rest of the conservative yeah. movement and the GOP just fell in line. And so the cynical, I, I think I talked about this in the episode with Matt, you know, the cynical reading is like, well, the, um, the neocons really, the Jewish neocons really just care about Israel. And then, um, and, right. and the sort of, um, foreign policy adventurism that some people saw as like kind of ultimately supporting Israel's position in the Middle East. And then since Trump was like, didn't care about any of that shit, um, you know, they couldn't, the new conservatives, this is like the character couldn't like use Trump as their puppet in the way that they used yeah. George W. Bush as their puppet. And so that's the cynical reading. And then the non-cynical reading is, well, a lot of these people are, uh, the children or grandchildren of people who fled, uh europe yeah. because of the nazis yeah. and they saw yeah. something in trump that uh reminded them of the rise of hitler obviously trump is not hitler and was not hitler and yeah uh, but they had a legitimate little sort of moral reaction against trump whereas a lot of the non-jewish conservatives are like didn't have that moral revulsion or if they did have it they were they suppressed it um and so i think that if you see i mean so bill Kristol, total opportunist or like you know, true believer, moralist who has made a lot of mistakes. You know, whatever. Yeah. But, um It's interesting that uh, some of these types, Max Boot, Rubin, um, and some of the people associated with the Bulwark, I, like <laughs> Trump, is gone. Kind of. I mean, he's still hanging around, but they have not. Like, they're still like, like against Trumpism, and are sort of fighting a, I don't know, uh, trying to claim the GOP back or something. But um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I mean, I tend to think that these people, I mean, I know some of them a little bit, obviously, writing with the Bulwark, I've met a couple of them. And um, I, I think they tend to be pretty sincere um, in their sort of devotion to some of these ideals. And I think you're right that they see something because of their own personal histories. But I, I mean so I think that's that's all right but I think that maybe we're underestimating the positive connection um, between sort of the 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 extent to which the Claremont people genuinely affirm a Christian traditional values-based um ethic right and so or whatever that would values-based I don't mean that in a way like like you know what I mean so I think that there's sort of a I think there's an actual embrace of, of that I mean, I agree it's absurd that they went for Trump, but I think that there's kind of um, a, a deep concern about the kind of moral decay, um, progressivism, that you know, homosexuality, gay marriage. I mean, these are people who, who resisted that for a long time and still do. And so I think that that sort of more, that, 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 that sort of Christian angle, right. On the, on the Christian right, I think is actually, like a pretty powerful force for some of these people.
1: Okay, but but is it strange that the um, the institute founded by the, the four students of Harry Jaffa, who is Jewish, yeah. and who was a student of Leo Strauss, who is Jewish, is now like the, the Christian... oh yeah, I
0: mean, I think it's absurd, right? I really do. Um, but I think it's sort of. Um, I, I think that I think some of the I think. It's, it's tricky because I think they really do like um, in a way some of Jaffa was pretty careful I think and and Kessler will deny that he believes this but he's they sort of talk, the way they talk about the American founding it's kind of like a perfect synthesis of sort of the the Christian worldview sometimes and and it's not the it's sort of you know um, Judeo Christian, right, is how they'll talk about it.
1: Right. <laughs> but like, Emphasis on that, right? Part usually, right.
0: Well, usually, right? But I think that that's pretty, sinc- like, they're sincerely like, think that that's a tradition that has, like, uh, is worth sort of holding on to tightly. And then it's merged perfectly with these great institutional doctrines from the Enlightenment plus um, a, an ancient Republican spirit, right? So that that's sort of where they're coming from. And I think that 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 sincere devotion to that stuff makes it hard for them to ac- accept things that aren't that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, okay, now let's <laughs> maybe we've given a lot of sort of background without with really yeah, that about the piece. Okay. So let's talk a little more about the piece. And so right. um but so Michael Anton is one of the people you look at and um so he wrote this essay, The Flight 93 Election in 2016 and he wrote it under a um pseudonym which is Publius Decius most, is it must mouse or am i wrong about that but that means something in latin and
0: yeah.
1: so it and it, as i understand it i don't think i ever read it but it made sort of a splash when it came out and this was when you know the conservative movement and the um conservative conservative intellectuals were not on board with trump quite yet and but this the argument of this piece was that You know, in the same way that the uh, passengers on Flight 93 uh, on 9-11 decided that they might as well risk it all and storm the cockpit in order to, uh, which would probably lead to all of their deaths, but could avert um, an even bigger catastrophe, Um, Trump, uh, the 2016 election presented a um, choice between like possible total catastrophe, uh, the election of Hillary <laughs> Clinton to the presidency, and then this sort of crazy gambit that we might as well support it because the um, the alternative is just so horrible to com- contemplate, which is uh, getting yeah. on board with Trump. Is that getting on board? <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's like Hillary Clinton is sort of certain death according to this essay, right the ele- electing her, she's just going to run the country, it's going to be the end of America. And but if we so take that's like our, a pla-
1: that's the plane crashing. That's into the plane Capitol crashing. Yeah, yeah. The, but it's I mean it's so all...
0: repulsive, right? Like it's hard to talk with it's. It's like you can kind of lose sight of just how how vicious this whole thing. Is. It's pretty but, like, yeah
1: nuts. But this but this yeah. is a very influential. So Democrats
0: piece. are like terrorists. Yeah, and so um and then yeah and then but it, but you can take your chances with Trump and see what happens, right? Because I mean, it's got to be better than that. Anything's better than that, and so
1: or at least it can um, be worse. Like we yeah. might die anyway. But. Yeah, we
0: might die anyway, but it's, and, but it's got, it can't be, yeah, it can't be worse. So, um so he writes this thing and it's, it's all in flowery language. I mean, Anton, it's really weird to read Anton and he's still pumping this stuff out, but um yeah, so he's got his, <laughs> so that, that took off. And then, I mean, my, this is sort of fast forward for years and he's still at it. Um And then, um but in the pre, in the months leading up to the 2020 election. I mean, he went to work on work with the administration for a little while and, and has his own story. Yeah. So he he was on the national
1: security council as like a um, communications person or something. I guess he was working on messaging. um, Yeah. And uh, then for the the NSC.
0: Yeah. And I think that, and then he, he got, he got ousted. uh, And I don't fully, I don't know the backstory there, but. um, But
1: So he was one of the few people who was Claremont associated who actually did go to the white house. So I mean, you know usually there's like the, these think tanks sort of in many ways a lot of think tanks op- operate as sort of like the holding ground for people who like cycle in and out of administration, so like people mm-hmm. go to the Center of American Progress or Brookings or something like after obama 's term ended waiting for and then those people like go back into working the administration yeah and so her so the Heritage Foundation is like the big traditional conservative um think tank sort of operation they um Like there just weren't enough, basically there weren't enough people who were Trumpists in 2016 to sort of form the cadre of, you know, Assistant Deputy Secretary, whatever. So they brought a lot of, like the people who would have staffed the Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio administration at the like mid-tier level, like those people came in, but then Anton was one of the few people who was like an actual like rah-rah Trump guy in the intellectual world coming in to work at the White House.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there, there wasn't a lot of that coming from the Claremont Institute at my, I think that the Trump administration had a pretty hard time s- with their staffing at the beginning. And so they were, but, um, and, and I, I just like, I don't think Anton had much to do. He, he had written a book about Machiavelli and clothes, um, before yeah, so I, and and he was a financier, so, but I, it's not like he was sitting there at the Claremont Institute before all this happened. I don't think, and like thinking about good policy, and so like this is not uh, he. But he, but they must have been grateful to who knows how he got in there. But it didn't. It didn't last that long. And
1: yeah, he left. Uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 so you mentioned that I actually pulled this out. So and I think this is you did This is sort of revealing. So okay. So he Anton both wrote Flight 93 election under a Latin pseudonym. You know, so as if he's like you know, one of the uh, founding fathers or something, um, writing the, the um, Federalist Papers. But then he also published this book called uh, The Suit, A Machiavellian Approach to Men's Style under the pseudonym Nicholas Anton Giovanni that came out in 2006. And um, so this is a man who has two prominent yeah. publications under different pseudonyms. <laughs> and then this is for Wikipedia. <laughs> um, Anton is a classically trained chef after resigning from the National Security Council in 2018. He came back to the White House for a day to work as a line cook in the kitchen, helping prepare a state dinner for President Emmanuel Macron of France, who's also an esthete with a penchant for classical men's tailing and fashion, having authored a short book and over forty thousand posts on Internet Bulletin Board StyleForum.com on the subject. Um so that's that's Michael Anton, so a guy who was writing about men's style and then somehow ends up on the um National Security Council. But and so this I uh, something I've been talking about for a while, maybe the viewers are sick of this at this point, is like cosplay, American life becoming cosplay. And so Michael Antine is sort of like a cosplayer. So he's like I mean, he's literally into like fashion and adornment and he's in a seat and he's pretending to be a chef. And so he's also sort of pretending to be like Publius mm-hmm. and he's pretending to be yeah. a fighting father. And it's all and he's sort of sort of like trying on these different outfits sometimes literally if he's right. I mean he must be having a great fashion.
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: and so, I mean, if you, if you look at a photo of him, he's usually wearing a you know, much much nicer suit than I've ever worn. Um, but it is sort of like he's, yeah, it's sort of like a play acting live action role play, LARP cosplay sort of thing. But then like, it had like this catastrophic success. Yeah,
0: I know. And he, and he's not like, I don't think he thinks of himself as doing that. Right. I think he thinks he's kind of control, like masterminding the universe with behind the scenes with his, special writings and his cool connections and i mean and they are i mean they've. i guess we could get to the piece but they've started a new think tank and and um i mean in the in the piece i try to kind of show anton's kind of a middling intellectual figure i'd say right in the whole scheme of things i i think he has i don't mean to be an into, a snob about this stuff okay but like just to but he's got i think he's got a phd somewhere but it's not like he's some professor at some place right um and so so the the piece I try to I try to sort of show how through the from the upper echelons of this think tank and then um, where there's some real scholars who are making sort of semi serious arguments in defense, a lot of a lot of this stuff, um, how that works. Um, quite consistently these sort of very genteel accounts of things and the divisions in our country and the two, Charles Kessler for example, who's the editor of the Claremont Review of Books, which, which is the most serious publication, Right. I mean, he's got a book called, called The Crisis of the Two Constitutions, where he's basically saying, like, we're, we're a house divided again. And, and basically, like, it's you can't go on like this. Right. Because there's the progressive constitution and then there's the founders constitution and it can't work together. So we're we're, we're on the precipice of disaster. Um, and so you've got that sort of been, sort of learned perspective. And then you've got him defending um, sort of the some of the stuff. With stop the steal, that's sort of the most genteel version. And then you've got sort of Michael Anton, who's fomenting this idea that the there's a Biden coup way before the election, right? And you've got him and and you you know all over citing these other conspiratorial sites with other Claremont um, affiliates, affiliates and stuff. So you've got him sort of creating that discourse and fomenting it while pretending kind of to just be sort of doing straightforward something straightforward. You've got Anton doing that. And then you've got sort of these other parts of the Claremont world where you've got people publishing really, really dangerous sort of rhetorical stuff that, I mean, I talk about this one essay by Glenn Elmers from the spring or maybe the winter where it's basically just like a fascist rant right about the broken america and then you've got sort
1: of these i just just just, you know the the term like fascism has been thrown around a lot over the past five years and Mm -hmm. the whole debate about like was trump a fascist like is maga sort of a proto-fascism like i think you highlight from this essay by this guy glenn elmers it really Mm -hmm. like this is sort of a proto-fascism that he's sort of calling for of like purging the the, like he's saying half more than half america are not actual americans and they like Need to be purged, basically, and so this is pretty gross stuff. And I guess this this ran on the American mind, which is there. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't think he says they should be purged, and I, I mean, I guess it's important to be to be careful, right? But I mean, it's like the language he uses to describe basically all Democrats or anyone who voted for Biden is not America is like a zombie, is a monster, and then it gets really ugly. I mean, that...
1: like like, like pe- people, he said something about the young woman who wrote a poem at the inauguration. Yeah. He's like, like, if you were like, maybe you worm, like people, the worm, like existence, you know, like this sort of thing. But like the real yeah. people don't. And, and wait, so who is? OK, well, Glenn Elmer, who is this guy? Like, how does he has he come to write? A piece like this that gets published at the August American Mind. Um, outlet. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, in a way, I don't think he's much of anybody. Right. So, I mean, I think he's got, he, I believe he was a student of Kessler's, so I should double check that. And um, he's got a master's degree. I think he might've worked in government at some point. Um, so, but I mean, he, I think that they are try- he's got a book coming out about Harry Jaffa is my understanding with the same press that Charles Kessler's book is coming out. Um, with which is Encounter Books, I think, by which is led by Roger Kimball, um, and so I think that I don't think he I don't think he was anyone, <laughs> especially okay. so his, right.
1: Uh, at the Claremont Institute says that he is a visiting research scholar at Hillsdale College, and you can explain what the link is there. I think Hillsdale is, is sort of an evangelical private college, uh, and is writing a book on the scholarship of Hi- Harry Jaffa, sort of a speechwriter for the U.S. Secretary of Energy. Um, okay. So all those memorable speeches that the energy secretary gave we can credit some of those those great lines to glenn elmers and mm-hmm. contribute to various pop- okay so the, yeah so he has a ba and an ma uh a ma in political philosophy from claremont graduate school so that and also well i was looking at the wikipedia for anton he also has an ma from claremont graduate school so i guess that's sort of like the funnel for some of these people um claremont graduate institution well, yeah is, is like a legitimate place but then some of them sort of get yeah. siphoned into this more kooky like conservative activist area.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that the Claremont Institute is turning them into people with some clout, right. And sort of legitimizing them, um, and give, and giving them a platform. I mean, they're probably just buddies with these people. Right. And so, um, so they've decided to publish Glenn Elmer's crazy rant, um, I mean militaristic and and racist and all the, all the I mean just really divisive and and gross right which is of a piece with a lot of the other stuff but so they're 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 elevating this guy he's published in the Claremont Review of Books this this in the current issue I believe I saw his name um, alongside Michael Anton so um, he
1: also has written in Modern Age Law and Liberty and American Greatness and I, okay. I only recognize American Greatness that's sort of the they tried to start a sort of magazine of Trump studies kind of, kind of thing of like true believers. And um, so that, I mean, that's not a peer reviewed journal uh, kind of thing, but anyway, and it's yeah. funny just thinking, looking at, if you just look at this guy's bio page at Claremont, he just, a, I mean, he looks like a, you know, sort of a, a lawyer from Milwaukee or something like he's just, he's a, yeah. you know, very yeah. sort of nondescript a uh, guy with a light beard and slightly balding and you know, we, sh- we shouldn't like infer anything from the way people look but it's just I mean it's sort of there's an absurd aspect and a stupid aspect to all this thing and it's like you know this guy who seems very mild banners <laughs> and it's not oh, yeah
0: that's exactly right I mean look at the all of these people with their pictures and stuff you're just like what is going on here um
1: yeah so it's that's- banality of evil but it's sort of like I don't know the- Oh, so okay so another question I had is sort of like um Who is who is the audience for all this? Like, who is the intended audience? Because it makes sense, like, the Federalist clearly has an audience, and National Review has an audience, and Fox News, and OANN, and Newsmax all have audiences. But who is sort of, like, going for this content? Who is being convinced by this content? Like, you know, there weren't a lot of people who were, like, intellectually swayed through intellectual arguments to support Donald Trump. It was mostly, like, they already supported him, they liked what he was saying, he told the truth, blah, blah. Or they were like, well, I don't really like him, but he's the... Republicans, so I'm just going to support them. Yeah, for that reason. But it's like it's almost it almost seems like this is sort of like a weird closed loop that's sort of um they're all talking to each other and like convincing each other. But they who is yeah who like who is really well? It? I
0: mean, I think there's some of that. Um, I think that I think that what I haven't quite talked about, which I try to sort of do a little bit within the bottom of the end of the piece, is just that this this is sort of the tip of the iceberg in the Claremont universe. And they're, they're sort of reaching out. They've got all a lot of these fellows they're bringing on like Jack Basobiec and um, Kirk. They, they have huge, or Jack White is one this year. That guy, Um, they've got these huge. This is not Jack
1: White of the uh, White Stripes. No,
0: no different one. Um, um, They've got a pretty big online presence, right? So these are kind of alt-right influencers in many instances. So I think, and there's um, the American greatness website that you mentioned, um, and the American mind are kind of um, those are both American greatness is not officially with Claremont, but I think the funding is probably the same and a lot, and there's a ton of overlap. And then American Mind is officially the blog of of the Claremont Institute. And so those I don't i I guess i don't i I don't know exactly the reach of these places, but they've got a pretty, I, I think that they're sort of tapping into this sort of online networked universe of the alt right pretty open like pretty obviously um and so i think that ultimately what you have is a bunch of people who are really well read in some weird ways in the american founding and in some of these traditions and in and in some cases in sort of roman philosophy and stuff right maybe not very well read but pretty well read relative to most of us right and sort of they are using these arguments to um I think that they, I think that what happens is those arguments sound quite attractive and smart um, in a lot of different contexts. So the audience, I mean, to a to I think your average Republican voter, and not to, and I don't mean to demean any Republican voter. I mean, so I think your average voter, some of those things can found can sound very fascinating and appealing when you're talking about what James Madison said about this or that or Thomas Jefferson, you know, this, and, and then, or Lincoln, or Frederick Douglass, like, they've got this, all this stuff at their fingertips, or Publius, or whatever, right, like, you've cut, um, and stories that they can tell, and anecdotes they can discuss, or, I mean, they're always talking about Aristotle, I mean, it's the most distant, from my perspective, it's the most disingenuous garbage, right, that, um, and and I don't think any of the... But but I think that can just so, sound... Are, I mean, that, like, that's, that kind of sophistication is extremely powerful rhetorically. I think that we sort of fail to recognize that sometimes. Okay,
1: so are there people... <laughs> so it's like, there are people who actually want to read about Aristotle and maybe want to learn about Aristotle. And then there's people who, I guess they hear the name Aristotle and like, oh, that was a smart guy. I suppose whatever I'm reading right now is probably pretty smart as well if they know something about Aristotle. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's more like, that because you know who is you know who's really like it's sort of like you know the neocons had like no popular constituency um and that's uh, one of the weird things about them it's like and the never trumpers (laughs) were like three or four percent of the party seemingly um so it's it's sort of like yeah i don't know there's something there is something strange about it um that yeah like like, okay so you know they're they're giving charlie kirk some like Quotes he can like throw out at the TPUSA convention or something, but like all this like you know uh, contemplation of the deep texts and, and and reading the Federalist Papers or something. It's is it all just sort of like to fool the rubes and and like make it seem like there's some intellectual sheen on this. I I'm, maybe this is I'm getting too far into like sort of.
0: No, lie. I mean I don't think I think for I I I think that you don't get I I mean I think it's genuinely perplexing. Right, um, I think that the people at the top. I think they're in a kind of intellectual silo where there's not really many people challenging any of what they're saying seriously. Okay. So they've bought into all this stuff. Um, so they, they sincerely, it's not just, I mean, I think for Anton, Anton and some of these people that might be a little bit of the kind of cosplay stuff, Mm -hmm. like it's kind of like a lark for them, but I think, um, I think for a lot of them, it's much more serious and, and based in convictions and a belief in sort of traditions and, and Western civ, right? And the need for these kinds of sort of, um, I mean, noble lie is probably about right, right? Where they really believe that it's necessary. And so they want to promote that even any, however they can, in whichever way they can. And they, I think it's also, I mean, you look at somebody like, um, what's Peterson, right? That guy, Jordan Peterson, uh, Jordan Peterson. I mean, he, what? His books have sold millions of copies, right? I mean, a huge phenomenon. He's not taken seriously, but, and, we, and I think you can open it by like intellectuals typically, right? Like you can open his book and find just weird problems and interpretive missteps. But um, but it's highly appealing. He's definitely tapped into something powerful in the morality of young men, right? Especially many conservatives, I would assume. Um, and so I think that there's something deeply appealing about that kind of language and that they're completely comfortable with, right? There's a kind of whole moral universe that these people and, and political universe that these people are about, you know, the great statesmen and the need for prudence and, um, right, that they're very comfortable with. And I think it's, I think it's easy to underestimate how appealing that is if you don't feel that way.
1: Okay, that uh, thinking about them as sort of the uh, political analog to Jordan Peterson is interesting because, you know, the the thing, we don't need to get, go off on a Jordan Peterson tangent, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, he famously, one of his, like, uh, precepts is clean your room. And that's, like, the most uh, basic thing that a mother says to a seven-year-old is clean your room. And, but but I guess Peterson sort of uh, framed it and if, uh, in a way such that, and his, like, presentation, and so he makes it seem like this deep statement and like if he if jordan peterson says well you know carl Jung and the ancient you know uh, ancient myths and you know the disney questions are yeah. all telling you to clean your room i guess it sort of resonates in a different way with a certain subset of of people and um so maybe there's yeah maybe it's there's something there a um, certain massive subset of people
0: right yeah, who yeah, maybe have, have never figure. have just haven't i mean i guess i'm pretty sympathetic to the view that there is some sort of more, there's some genuine alienation and vacuum there, right? I mean, and so that people haven't been exposed to these kinds of arguments or these texts. And then, and so they get a shallow botched version of it and they're, they can't tell the difference. Um, I mean, I'm not, yeah, I I, 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 like I say, I find it personally repulsive, <laughs> but.
1: Um, okay, so let's, talk about two things that are associated with Claremont and that is the 1776 commission and the garden of American heroes. Um, yeah. And so the 1776 commission was a seeming reaction to the 1619 project. And it was this like 40 or so page document that was brought um, <laughs> yeah, together by here. presidential proclamation. Okay. Uh, one of the few <laughs> hard copies probably. Yeah, exactly. um, although maybe they're, they stack them up are they're, they're all in like a, unused locker or something in Claremont, California, but, um,
0: or Hillsdale,
1: <laughs> but, um, and so this was sort of a rebuttal. And it was sort of like, I guess it was, un- it's, it became a Claremont project. And, and the, so the guy who, um, the, this is, this is actually from Wikipedia. The chair was Larry Arn, A-R-N-N, the president of the conservative Hillsdale college. who was also a Claremont type guy. The co-chair was Carol Swain, a black conservative. who was a former professor at Vanderbilt law school. Carol Swain was actually a guest on Glenn Lowry's show, um, mm roughly a year ago. I'd never heard of her before, and people can check out that episode and make what um, determinations they want about Carol Swain, but not a historian, and then I guess a lot of people who were involved with drafting this document uh, were also Claremont people, and so how did, what is is your view of the 1776 commission report?
0: Well, I mean, I I have a bit of, I, I sort of I, I sort of take it to task a little bit in the piece for just having sort of being really, um, well, I think it's highly sort of partisan in weird ways and, and just really gives short shrift to, um, you know, black history and, and sort of the, the. I mean, I could list the problems with it, but I think people have seen those problems, right. They're yeah. sort of, they just gloss over all these really difficult um
1: eras and and i, I would use the word that comes to mind is tendentious like yeah if...
0: yeah and and just weird like it was it's really weird the way they lump together progressives and fascists and um communists and all these things as, and racists that's like like that those are the major threats that are all sort of there's a kind of equivalence there built into it um i mean i guess i think you can you can read through the document and learn some things and just like i i can read carl's Charles Kessler's new book and learn some things but there's just real um there's a real kind of glibness and I mean sometimes it just strikes me as re- just sort of weird ignorance the way they talk about history like they they just kind of um I mean in in the sort of so I haven't looked at this in a while but there's there's just the way they they kind of talk about reconstruction as they, they I think there's a couple paragraphs there right but it's like that was a hundred years of like authoritarian oppression, right? Almost like the, after when reconstruction failed. So it's like, that's not something you get to just say, but, but like history marched on and everything was upwards, you know, uh, like that, that actually matters, right. That there was that, you know, huge stretch that after the civil war, things weren't just fixed. Um, (laughs) So I think that there's a kind of a real, Obfuscation that happens with what they choose to include and what don't, they don't include, and it's the same with the. I mean, they basically these guys are kind of again. It's not even clear where they stand on the Civil Rights Act. I mean, they they have this. They basically are of the of the line that it was okay to enshrine voting rights in the '60s, but then after that, it's just been completely re- a reversal of fortunes, where now it's all anti-white racism, um, and and affirmative action. And, and that—that's been, you know, it's—it's it's, so it's really it's historically really bonkers and and ignorant, I think. And so, um, I mean, I think it all it all coheres in a kind of that—that's how they, that's how they genuinely think about this stuff. They, it's become this dogma where they won't open their eyes to um, some of these historical realities. But I'm—I mean, I had one person. So I, I don't know if that's helpful or what else there is to say about the 1776 report. But yeah, Larry Yarn, who's the head of the commission, is one of the founders of the Claremont Institute, and he's the president of Hillsdale College.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, it's strange that this, like, you know, Trump ordered this. I mean, it's, it, getting into Trump psychology is always tricky. It's, it's a sort of a black box. Like, why did he care about this in particular? Who convinced him that? Yeah, you know, this is what you should do is appoint this historical commission like this is weird. And then the fact that the report came out like January 18th or something and then was like a media withdrawn. So I guess these guys are sort of like I mean, I as a procrastinator myself, I, I would usually finish my you know college papers like at 3 a.m. the night before. Yeah. So it's, I had this, that sort of feel well, to it. Well, they probably like,
0: thought they were going to win the election and that they were going to get spent oh, so more so time had, on it. have a couple it, more right? years to, yeah, to wrap it all and all up. to really do it and to do a, okay, that's job. a good job. That, that actually that's makes a lot guess. of sense. Yeah. Um,
1: and then like Biden withdrew it very quickly. And then this is sort of related to the Garden of American Heroes, which is what um, Know Your Enemy was goofing on in their title. And this yeah. is another strange thing, but I guess this is thought to also be sort of a Claremont uh, sort of Production. enterprise. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you can see how they told, they convinced Trump that it would be like, he would be building something with all these cool statues and be like a tourist attraction. That would be very appealing to Trump. But, it, it, but also like, it's it just, it's, it's strange. And so I was, I was going back in the Wikipedia uh, page has the list of all the people and i'm just going to read the, so i I pulled out a little chunk of the people that, so there was this plan to create a new sort of national monument type thing with statues of of great americans you know going back yeah to the founding or before and and they they made this they read this very long list and so this is this is just an excerpt this is these are from the h's okay alphabetical yeah. order okay. ernest I henry patrick henry charlton heston alfred hitchcock billy holiday bob hope Johns Hopkins, Grace Hopper, Sam Houston, Whitney Houston. So I you know I ended there because that's such a great pairing of Sam Houston yeah. and Whitney Houston, both great Americans, I guess. Um, but it's like, okay, so this wasn't like a sort of like alt-right um sort of like the white people are are great sort of thing. Like this is a real weird hodgepodge that includes uh, you know, uh White men, uh, white women, Grace Hopper, uh, who has, has now has a residential college named after Yale. I believe she was a mathematician and was in the Navy, I think. Um, and then like Sam Houston and also Whitney Houston and Bob Hope and Alfred yeah. Hitchcock, I don't think is an American. Did he ever have American citizenship? He was, uh, he's British, uh, I believe. And so it's just a strange grouping. And so you can't just say like, well, they wanted us to think that like white men did everything great in history.
0: Yeah, no, like, it's not no, that because like Santa totally is
1: here. And yeah, so no. is, Billy Holiday yeah. and Charlton Heston, and so, like, what? Yeah. Where did this? What are your thoughts on this strange, the strange thing?
0: On this strange, I mean, I, 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 think that you're right in that it, um, it points to. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give them too much. Um, I mean, I think that it's not a straightforward that list is really interesting and bizarre, right? I mean, I, I, it's kind of, um, it's just weird to imagine them sitting there coming up with it. But I, I mean, I think that these are not straight. They, I think that the Claremont people truly believe in the American principles, right? Of like equality um, and, and racial equality too. I, I think many of them do, right? Um, I, but I think that they're, they're still dabbling and adjacent to just really vicious stuff. And I think that a lot of their, um, the ways in which they are, their minds work are, um, are. I mean, I don't want to, I, I just, I think that they are kind of um, adjacent. I, I, I don't want to just say that they're racist because that's cheap and it's not, it's not that simple, right? But I think that they're kind of, and it's hard to not sort of fall into um, tropes that are um I I don't want to just fall into simple groupthink talk, right? Of, of like the of the left. Um <laughs> But I think that they so I, I think but I think that they're sort of um,
1: like this is this is not white nationalism. This was they did not well, want to go forward white, white nationalism.
0: nationalism, but I think it kind of is in practice. I mean, I think a lot of what, what I try to reveal in the piece is that they have all of these ideas and all of these principles that they and, and these very abstract ideas in many instances that they believe deeply that that some of the nature of those convictions allows them and leads them to turn a blind eye to the realities around them, not just in the present, but all throughout history. Right. And so um, they, they'll say that they're even minded and that they're egalitarians, but they won't. They don't want to look at any of this stuff. They don't want to listen to Nicole Hannah Jones. Right. They, they can't. They, they definitely hate, don't want that <laughs> They hate Ibram Kennedy, There's no benefit of the doubt to anyone. Right. And of that, who's coming from the left or who's black, it seems to me, who who has a more radical um, account of things. And they don't even have the imagination to imagine, they don't even have sort of that much um, power of imagination that they're willing to kind of imagine what it might be like if you're the descendant of a slave, right, to think about the American founding, right? Like, it's not that hard to, to think a little differently about it, right? Um, and so, so to me, I mean, yeah, they're not white nationalists, but they're they're certainly happy to to pal up with many white nationalists and to support their work and to not condemn it, right? And that's maybe just political practical involvement, but I think it has a lot to do with the nature of their particular convictions and ideals and just the the kind of grooves that have worked into their minds and their sort of <laughs> habits of thinking, right? That that are, they're just kind of unable to process some of these realities and to confront it.
1: Yeah, I mean, someone needs to like like go deep and figure out like how like sort of using this national card of American heroes, and the thing itself was like quickly withdrawn (laughs) by the Biden administration. So sadly, we're not going to get this great new exhibit. I'm just looking through like how did this happen? (laughs) Who who made the list? What were they thinking about? What were they trying to do? I mean, I'm just looking at the names. Like um, Muhammad Ali is on there. Is that someone who actively opposed a lot of like American domestic and foreign policy? Uh, throughout his life, and so yeah. they, they include a black Muslim who, you know, famously um, said, you know, who went to jail instead of uh, serving the armed forces in Vietnam, and yeah. then like, so maybe this list was just like they they they're trying to think of just like famous people because Trump likes famous people because maybe Trump made people. the list, maybe he really did,
0: maybe, so he, maybe, was the maybe one who he crafted the obscure, list. But then there's these
1: obscure. So then, Woody Guthrie is on the list. I mean, why would a bunch of conservatives want to put oh, Woody, it's a so statue funny. of Woody Guthrie? Like, I, that, like the, I sort of
0: think we should. I, I like this project. <laughs> and I, uh, I think that Biden should take it up. And
1: it would be kind of like it, it's a, it's not the worst idea that Trump had by far. And maybe it's maybe it's above the medium, you know, in terms of all the ideas he had. And like it like there are plenty of good things about this country and we should be celebrating, um, you know, great things that happened in the past. And I, I mean, I guess this was sort of inspired by like people tearing down statues and Nikola monuments. Nikola
0: Tesla. Oh, I didn't know he came to the United States.
1: He was definitely not an American citizen, I'm no, pretty sure. No. And he died, he died in New York City, I believe. But yeah, so, right. I mean, this is just a strange... Listen, you know, like I said, Sacagawea is on here, and um, as is Elvis Presley. Like, it's just so strange. Yeah. I mean, Barbara Jordan, like that... elia Kazan, like Chief Joseph. These, this yeah. is a, a hodgepodge. It's like pulling yeah. names out of a hat. But it would be yeah. kind of cool if there were somewhere where, like, everyone could go and, and learn about all these yeah. people. And there's plenty of people who are on here who obs- are obscure. And I was just like looking at their Wikipedia entries. And so, you know, I don't know who Louise McManus is, but she was the first nurse to earn a PhD. So that's an interesting person. Yeah, Ida B. Wells is on here, you know? Yeah, Ida B. Wells, the hero of Nicole Hannah-Jones. So it's just so strange. Um, Sadly, this is not going to happen. Maybe Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos can try to put this thing together uh, at some point. Maybe it could orbit the the globe, and and it could be like a tourist (laughs) uh, visit, you know, stop off. Or we could uh, just
0: do, yeah, little satellite statues.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you can watch him whiz by. Um, okay. So, you know, we've, we've gone on for a while, but let me see if there's anything else. I, oh, I did actually want to bring up uh, this guy you mentioned, um, uh, Michael Pack, who was um, actually also appeared on the Glenn show on Blogging Heads. And he, in, I guess he's a director. He's directed a lot of documentaries about conservatives. And so when he was on Blogging Heads last year, he was talking about a documentary of Clarence Thomas that he had directed. And then this guy was appointed to, um, to run, uh, like whatever, like Radio Free Europe, or whatever the the uh, umbrella organization for those like outlets, those media outlets that the U.S. government runs, beaming uh, you know information slash propaganda into foreign countries, and 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 then it seemed like he was doing like he immediately like alienated everyone under him and pissed everyone off and started this huge fight and it was like he like tried to fire everyone and there were lawsuits and it was like a total total disaster and so this guy came from. Claremont, right? He was like the media director or something. And then I think so he he was, actually, the
0: form, he was the former president. I don't I don't uh, yeah, I don't have a I don't I don't have a deep under knowledge of this person, but he was the former president,
1: Claremont. Okay, so he yeah, so it, then, there was a, a lot so shortly after he appeared on this platform, you know, in like May 2020, he was appointed to run whatever this umbrella organization is and then they're very quickly like of course because if you try to fire a bunch of journalists like they're going to leak to their former colleagues in the press and so especially mpr was reporting like on all the just strange happenings are happening here and it seemed like basically this guy um i mean there's a there's one subplot of the trump years is like people who thought they could like uh, elevate themselves by associating themselves with trump uh, try to do so and then they end up like with their name as dirt totally ruined and Trump is like sailing off, you know, into the, into the sunset. So Michael Pax strikes me as one of these people who thought it would be a good idea to give up his sinecure, um, at the, you know, at, at Claremont and directing documentaries that MP, that, you know, PBS would air about conservative, uh, you know, grandees of, of American history and like yeah. get a real job. And then he, like he totally messed it he up. got burned. And now like maybe he did something <laughs> illegal and like firing all these people. Uh, and so, who the hell knows? But anyway, his name is so. So his name is Dirt now, and yeah, it was it was another thing of like someone who was kind of an intellectual trying to ally themselves with Trump, and then ending yeah. up with mud, mud on their face. Uh, so I thought yeah. that was noteworthy, and um, and maybe we'll get him. You know, maybe yeah. He, maybe I mean, I,
0: I guess just the only follow up I would have to that, and because I don't know about I don't know much about him, um, is just that. Like, I don't know what I guess for when it comes to sort of the future of all this stuff, I think it's worth noting that Claremont. Um, is sort of one hub of this kind of intellectualism. And it's uh, it, it's still, there are still sort of well-regarded conservatives who write for the Claremont Review of Books or who attend conferences at the American Political Science Association that are run by the Claremont Institute. Um, but so that, but it's sort of one sort of area, a hotspot for this stuff. Um, but it's not like they're the only conservative intellectuals, right, who um, who have supported Trump. They're, they've been the most explicit and sort of the most vocal. But I think that there's a whole sort of group of, of, of different, or there's sort of a smattering of others, too, who um, basically were glad for for Trump sort of exploding the, the old establishment and um, have started to kind of theorize a, about um, what a post-liberal, America might look like um and and I think they're dead serious right and so I mean it's kind of easy to to look at these guys and just think what a bunch of buffoons right <laughs> um but but I think that some of this, and and I think that's true of a lot of the Claremont people but I think it's really I mean I don't mean to get all uh pedantic right but i think it's really easy to sort of look at this and just think what a bunch of losers and that well, can't I mean, be it real to,
1: it was easy to look at donald trump's at Trump, campaign yeah. as one of and, and i it's think if they look yeah. at these bumbling fools yeah. that they can never yeah. win and so yeah
0: and i think you see you see sort of some very serious smart people um, you know patrick Deneen is one I've, I've written quite a bit about as well um, and yoram hazoni who is an israeli-american um, theorist of nationalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of they 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 they're all kind of adjacent. They write together. They publish lists together. You know these petitions and stuff, or like support for this or that. Um, with first things and and, the, and and sort of they know they all know each other, and I, I don't think it's like a cabal or a conspiracy, but I think that the fact that they were willing to kind of get in line behind Trump and not speak out against him means that there's sort of very few limits on what they um, would or wouldn't support. And so I, I guess for me, like I I do worry about a real sort of authoritarian candidate on the on the right. And so I mean I don't think Trumpism is. Easy to replicate, um, and and but but he's still around, right? For one thing, um, and and the other thing is, I think that for a lot of Republicans, um, a, a more centric or sort of a more respectable candidate would also have a lot of appeal that Trump lacked, right? But they might not be able they might not see some of the dangers there. So I guess, I mean, that's my little plea for, I think we, I, I do think we need to take these guys seriously. I mean, I think it's hard to judge, genuinely hard to judge, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, but I do think there's something kind of alarming, um, sort of percolating uh, on the right.
1: Yeah, I don't think, yeah. And so, so these people are sort of laughable in some ways. And, you know, Michael Anton writing his book about Machiavelli men's, you know, <laughs> dresswear or whatever. So that mm-hmm. it, it, it is sort of like, you know, it, it is laughable, um, but yeah, the, you know, he actually was on the National Security Council, or whatever. Uh, so I just, just to clarify, so Michael Pack was the CEO of the U.S. Yeah. Agency for Global Media, so that they supervised Voice of America. And then like this, so he tried firing all these people, they like revolted against him, and then, uh, he resigned after Biden requested he do so on January 20th, 2021. Um, okay, so what, uh, I just want to briefly ask, so, you know, you talk about the American mind, which is their, online outlet as sort of they're sort of like the vanguard in terms of like pushing things you know um the, uh, the yeah the things the are more on the stuff. edge yeah, and then like the Claremont Review of Books is sort of like the stayed austere yeah. version of it or something yeah. and so um American Mind is edited by this guy uh James Palos Pulos Polis, um who actually used to be a a, a semi-regular on blogging heads way back in the day because he was like an early blogger. I think he was a grad student then. And I, so I didn't ever really know this guy, but I used to consume his stuff. And he struck me as a smart guy who was a little sort of like, you know, he was a conservative, but he was sort of like a hipster guy and um, definitely intelligent and not a kook. And do you have any sense of like his transformation into Trumpist propaganda spreader or anything like that? Uh,
0: no, not really. I mean, I've kind of, I don't know any of these people personally. I've, my, I've met Ryan Williams. I think I was at a conference thing with him one time, who's the new president of Claremont, Um so, but I don't really, I haven't really conversed, I don't really know him, or have, haven't, I don't even remember talking to him. So I don't really, I sort of know people who know them. And so I've heard a few things about, but I, I mean, I've heard just as much as what you just described about Hulos, and, so, and people genuinely perplexed by this turn, um, in his case, and, and in most cases, frankly, I mean, I think um, what I see is just a lot of people who are perplexed by all this, and, and I mean, not saying much necessarily, but pretty, be, a little bit bewildered by what's going on there
1: yeah and so he uh, he like has a phd uh, from georgetown he wrote a, a popular book about um toqueville's influence on america and so um yeah mm. maybe not the person who would expect to be like you know ultimately responsible for this like glenn elmer's article about you know the um people with their zombie worm-like existence you know and we need to take the country back from them um, yeah. so who knows, I mean, James, maybe if you're listening to this and you want to come on, um, be happy to talk to you about some of these things. Um, and actually, you know, I'm, I'm joking, but you know, having him, um, he, he was a boy, a guy back in the day. So he, he might, um, I probably still have his email somewhere, so <laughs> maybe I'll try to get him on. It'd be, it'd be interesting to hear, you know, hear what he has to say. Um, okay. We've, yeah. no, we've caught up for a while. Does anything, So I, okay. I I think we didn't even touch on some major parts of the, of the, uh, essay. So I encourage people to read the essay. You have stuff about, um, a uh, legal scholar who spoke at the, uh, rally, you know, the stop the steal rally on January 6th, shortly before the storming of the Capitol. And, um, that guy has sort of, yeah, another type where they sort of align themselves to Trump and now they're covered in, you know, covered in mud. Um, and, and, and also some stuff about the sort of queasy, like racial, um, uh, yeah. language that um, some, some of their stuff, some of their pieces traffic in. Um, so I encourage people to, to read, read that piece. Are you still, um, are there more things in this vein that you're working on now as I think you could <laughs> give us a preview?
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm sort of mulling over some different things. I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, they made fun of, me. I think I got trolled a little bit on Twitter because I, I said it was not that fun kind of brutal to work on this stuff. <laughs> but it's true. It's really, I mean, I don't I don't in, I love writing. Um, so and I think that it's kind of uh, important to shine a light on some of this stuff. Uh, and I, I have enough of a background that I, I think it's useful for someone like me to do that. Um, and And so I could keep going. I mean, I was thinking of writing a couple pieces on Charles Kessler's new book, but I'm sort of I mean, I'm sort of bored of it, honest. I mean, that sounds really rude, but I, I just, it's, it's its stuff that I don't think is especially serious, but I think has some pretty big implications. So it's uh, its not, it's hard to want to spend your time doing that. Um, I've got other things I want to work on, but
1: anyway, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like simultaneously sort of like a weird curio. And it's like, yeah, what are these sort of unusual people thinking? But then like at the same time, you know, someone from Claremont was on the stage on January sixth. Anton, you yeah. know, was in there, and it's it's sort of like, you know, you could see this sort of, you know, becoming one of the dominant strains within conservatism. Um, depending on how <laughs> like how things develop from here, yeah,
0: it seems like it's it's obviously worth keeping an eye on, right? Um, but yeah. I, I mean, I have a new respect for a lot of these journalists who spend their time on some these really hard subjects because um, it's pretty different than you know reading. Uh,
1: Rousseau or Nietzsche or Aristotle <laughs> or whatever Just, um. Um, well, and you know and a lot of people are doing these esoteric readings, and so they you know of of the great you know, philosophers <laughs> and uh, and historians of antiquity and so forth, and so they know the like secret truth and so and, and so forth so um okay uh, so wh- anything else you want to say before we <laughs> before we wrap it up um, on this subject? I don't I don't think so. I okay. mean I'd love
0: it if people would read the essay and uh, send me a note, let me know what they think. Yeah, I encourage people about. to read mm-hmm. it. It's
1: it's it's very interesting and well done. Um and so okay, if people want to follow your work uh in, in the future, how how where can they do so?
0: Uh just Twitter, um I guess L Catfield. I'm L Catfield on Twitter. I'm, i have a website, field. LK, lkfield.com too.
1: Okay, cool. Um and you know, people can follow me on Twitter and they'll probably be less insightful, um, but it's RACW and, um, you know, they can rate, they can review, they can do all sorts of things. Um, and uh, OK, so thank you, Laura. Thank you for, again for coming on and, and taking the time. And uh, thank you to all of our viewers and listeners. And we'll see you again next time.
0: Thanks for having me.